0: You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 27. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your host, Mark Holfi, coming to you as always from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. This episode, number 27, is a little different. Um, I'm sure when you looked at the title of the podcast, which is essentially Canadian Passports, you're thinking to yourself, hmm, do I want to listen to this one? Well, hopefully you've taken just enough time to listen to this intro because I had the opportunity to interview Les Morley, an immigration lawyer practicing in Kingston, Ontario, and he is the most knowledgeable person I know about passports. Now, this is not some boring podcast. This is actually pretty dang interesting. And Les came on, and he shared a whole bunch of really interesting insights all the way from the history of passports all the way up to the you know the the political um, circumstances that resulted in our passports becoming more uh, restricted, um, the the controls placed on who can get them and how they can be used, and how all of those. Uh, specific situations have become tighter and tighter over the years to the point now where, you know, we're living in a pretty big brother world. So I was really happy to have Les on and we're going to get to him in a little bit. But I wanted to thank all of those listeners who have uh, faithfully uh, listened to the podcast and provided positive comments to me and really given me the encouragement to keep going. And I'm now starting to learn of other podcasts that other immigration lawyers are starting to do, and I'm super excited about it because there is so much wonderful knowledge to be shared by awesome immigration lawyers across this country, and I'm hoping to feature some of them who are starting up new podcasts across the country as well uh, on future episodes of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, one of them being uh, Stephen Murrens, who... um, who practices uh, with uh, Larley Lar- Rosengren in uh, Vancouver. So I'm going to get him on in future uh, a podcast. so stay tuned to that. Without much ado here, let's get into the interview that I had with Les Morley. Well, I am very pleased to have with me today on the Canadian Immigration Podcast, uh, my special guest, Les Morley, who is an immigration lawyer practicing in the lovely city of Kingston, Ontario. Welcome, Les.
1: Hello there. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, I thought maybe I'd start off by sharing a little bit of background information on you, Les, and then, uh, and then we can jump into the somewhat unique topic that we've chosen to cover in this podcast. Sounds good. Well, Les has been practicing since 1988... And he has, uh, as he's indicated um, to me, he's helped people from more than 100 countries immigrate to, or remain in Canada, and obviously that includes includes the whole spectrum of various immigration application types, everything from reuniting families to helping out students and workers navigate through this complex maze of Canadian immigration that we're we're facing these days. <clears throat> but also, you've had quite a bit of involvement representing everyday people. Who face admissibility challenges and and barriers to citizenship, and
1: uh, that's right. Actually, that's that's my preference. I like the um, the uh, the human stuff. I like the uh, the people who are sort of fighting against um, against big odds.
0: Cool. That's yeah, awesome. So Les is uh, is a part of a small group of people also that applied for and obtained a refugee assistance program facility in Kingston. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Of course. Uh, We, um, you and I, uh, Mark, I'm sure uh, are well uh, aware of um, the uh, events of last year uh, that led to uh, a promise by the leader of the current government to bring 25,000 Syrian refugees to Canada. And um, this really, I think, lit a fire under um, a lot of people who had been really, I think, uh, just judge from their behavior, had really been yearning to try and do something good for people who needed help. And, um, you know, we really saw here in Kingston, a great uh, sort of um, explosion of, of interest in in trying to do something. Uh, so um, not long uh, back, actually, before even the election happened, there was a big meeting. I, we call it a big meeting here in Kingston because, like you, Mark, uh, I, I practice in a smaller town. Kingston's about 125,000. And uh, we had 100 people uh, fr- come to want to find out how to sponsor refugees. And and many of these people were representing other people. They were representing their church or they were representing their their union organization. So we really had quite a lot of interest. And immediately people started to try and and, uh, come together to get the information they needed so they could sponsor uh, Syrian refugees. At the same time, um, or actually even earlier than that, um, we had... um, uh, through some of the organizations I was involved in, uh, come to uh, think that it was about time that Kingston um, um, developed a refugee assistance uh, program uh, of its own. Now, the refugee assistance program is um, um, the, uh, the mechanism, I, I, I suppose I could say, by which all of these uh, refugees that the government promised to bring in uh, are resettled in Canada. So here in Canada, unlike uh, really any other country, you can sponsor a refugee on your own, which is what I was just talking about a moment ago. But in addition, Canada, like other countries, will will scoop a share of uh, of refugees from a camp or from uh, places where they've they've uh, temporarily settled and bring them to Canada. But uh, they don't. Uh, settle all 25,000 um, refugees in, in downtown um, Lethbridge, uh, mm-hmm. they they disperse them throughout the country and the way they do that is by um, working with organizations that apply for and receive approval as RAP refugee assistance program um, mm-hmm. facilities. So we applied for one um, and uh, we were granted the um, um, application and so we are, during the course of this year, uh, going to receive 120 refugees, not necessarily Syrians, but probably uh, they're going to be um, Syrians, or most, the majority of them will be Syrians. And um, for a small town like this, uh, and this is the thing that really I have to tell you, Mark, uh, I don't know just how things are in Lethbridge, I haven't been there in such a long time, but here in Kingston, um, uh you know, about 10 percent of our population is foreign born. And in, in Ottawa, which is a much bigger city, about 1.2 million, it's maybe 22 percent, something like that. In Toronto, it's really getting very close to 50 percent. So here in, in this smaller town, we have sort of a Less of a range of different faces that we see as we walk down our main street. Exactly. But, mm-hmm. but what I'm, what we're hoping is that with uh, this facility, you know, it's only 120 people, and it's 125,000 in the city. But then that's 120 next year. We hope, and the ne- year after that. And and you know, we're hoping we're going to see, you know, a few more hijabs. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to have uh, an expansion of uh, of the Middle Eastern uh, communities um uh, uh you know uh, an explosion of attendance at the the local mosque uh and um you know the community will just become more diverse and becoming by becoming more diverse will in fact become stronger
0: uh, that's awesome so, you know yeah,
1: I, yeah it's pretty neat. I can
0: <clears throat> I can totally relate obviously here in Lethbridge I'd probably say the mm-hmm. you know the uh the diversity here is probably five percent. Five percent, you know, minority, and wow. and uh, and so it's been very fascinating to watch this groundswell of support for this mm. whole refugee initiative, this movement. And, how does that um, take?
1: How does that take form in uh, Lethbridge? Mark?
0: Well, well, you know, obviously, uh, let me take a step back. You know, you think about the country generally and everything that led to this well for years we have been trying to you know uh, to find ways to to um to support the challenging issues associated with refugee you know resettlement ar- across the globe and canada has always been somewhat of a leader in that initiative at least <laughs> it is once again now yes. um, but it really wasn't even on the 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 discussion like no one was talking about it until and you'll remember very clearly those images of that little toddler, that little Syrian toddler whose body was yes. washed up on that Turkish beach. And, you know, when I think about that, you know, when his family's trying to, to reach the, the Greek island of Kos from Turkey uh, with mm-hmm. the several others, and then their rowboat capsized, and there's that picture, right, of that soldier, whoever it was, you know, and that drowned little little toddler. And it just brings
1: tears to your eyes it does oh, you know and you know as a so father weird.
0: of four children myself mm. it's hard <laughs> it's hard not to envision how something like that would not impact you know uh you know how it would impact me and so i think that really was to a large extent the catalyst for a lot of this real groundswell at least within the the more traditional you know i don't know how to describe it other than this protectionist kind of you know mentality we we here in Canada, this is our country, and you go deal with your problems and we'll deal with ours and you know this kind of head in the sand idea, but it all right. changed you know, right. and then it became this political <laughs> this political issue that that uh the liberals were very good at at uh, taking on and and now and now we've got what we have and it's it's wonderful, and even here with the placement of some of those Syrian refugees that you know we had i think between a hundred and two hundred. Uh, of them placed here in Lethbridge, and there was just wow. an outpouring of support from all kinds of groups that I never would have thought would have even cared um who wanted to get involved in this thing and and be a part of it so nothing but well, i'm, good I'm, I'm really from it. pleased
1: I'm really pleased to hear that mark because you know um uh you know the the previous government really seemed to have been um based shall we say in, in your province yeah. and we 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 get such a, a stilted view over here about <laughs> what goes on over there and uh you know but it it's it's really heartening to see how much we have in common we are an ndp
0: province now Les. yeah yeah, yeah I know that <laughs> don't I forget that,
1: that. <laughs> yeah, i don't know how long you'll be an ndp well
0: I, I don't know how many <laughs> repentant voters we have but anyways for the next 3 years here we're going to be an ndp province so
1: yeah. Good for you. Good
0: for you. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, that yeah that that whole that whole initiative is just really cool. And uh, you know, as you indicated there, you're 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 kind of in you're it's a one horse town there for you. So you tend to get that's involved right. in a lot of these different projects, and that's really neat. And another one that you've mentioned to me that I've actually gone and had a chance to to look at and watch is you hosted a few episodes of uh, a local. Cabe, uh, a local cable show on now let me get this let's see if I can pronounce this right Kojako Co, TV
1: Kojako Kojako oh i was so close right. I,
0: I had the emphasis <laughs> on the wrong syllable there Kojako um, TV um, called diversity so right. um, can you talk a little bit about some of those episodes
1: sure sure so uh so this is a uh a company that offers uh the local community um um, uh, access to cable TV. So, uh, the the bulk of the community signed on for cable here. There's some satellites, but mostly cable. And as a consequence of, uh, the, um, uh, the rules at the CRTC, they must offer, uh, the community yes. the opportunity to produce programming. And so, uh, this program wasn't created by me, uh, but it's. um, I was invited to participate in it, and the idea of it was to provide a, um, an opportunity for immigrant voices to be heard and for there to be a discussion about immigrant uh, issues. So if we tie this together with the RAP um, program, and some of the things that you and I were just talking about uh, just a little while ago, Mark, you'll see that we're a community like Lethbridge that's, that's becoming aware that... 're we're, we're sort of missing the boat and and there's uh, this tremendous excitement enthusiasm that uh, that uh, some of the bigger cities are getting with the influx of new immigrants and uh, all sorts of new ideas and uh, and new possibilities that um, that we're you know just a little bit jealous about and want to want to have a piece of so this so, so uh, I've been working on this particular project uh, just during this year and um, what uh, we've done is we've we've, um, we've uh, uh, interviewed some of the people who are involved with the Syrian refugees, for instance, a number of them, a number of uh, community groups that were bringing them in. and you know, really quite, uh Heartwarming stories about, generally speaking, retired people, who are um, who've, who've agreed, uh, in in the case of, of one uh, one group, um, to bring in uh, a refugee family, only to discover that the family ultimately contained ten people, and uh, <laughs> that, that when they when they arrived, they would be. Um, uh, you know, taking them uh, the first day off to the bank to get them bank accounts and yes. to get their identity set up. And and they have to have translators to go with them so that all of this could be explained. Uh, taking the kids off to school, but several kids to several schools. And, and again, interpreters and uh, talking to guidance counselors and language instructors. And uh, just, just a, a, a real deep involvement in the lives of these people who are so uh, in need of a support but so grateful to have it uh, and um, And so what we um, we um, uh, heard about in the in the program was um, just how, uh, uh, how how thrilling it was for, for these these uh, sort of community heroes who were on the front lines and um, how, how satisfying it was for them to to be involved in these initiatives,
0: it's amazing how just the act of giving service without expecting anything in return is fulfilling. <laughs> and, it is, and I, you know, it always ceases to amaze me. Our society has become less and less service oriented, and more worried about me and my family and my little house, and you know, you know, my little world, and less concerned about our neighbors and our communities, and and so that's one of the things that I've seen the most that's been just an amazing blessing for our country is with the influx of these 25,000 plus refugees from, from Syria. And, you know, inclusive of others, we, we've, we've got some wonderful Bhutanese community refugees that have been settled in Lethbridge that have really contributed tremendously to the fabric of our little community here. Everybody knows about them, right? And it gives us awareness of, Hey, we're, we're not the only ones that exist in this world. And, and so, just watching how this has opened people's hearts up and their ability and desire to to share in ways that maybe you know uh, they they normally wouldn't have an opportunity to do, so it's been really, really satisfying
1: and how many how many Bhutanese refugees would you have in you know uh,
0: I can't remember. Um, it, they, they, they have, uh, they came in a few years back and so now they're starting to integrate a lot more and, you know, and I'm getting them coming into my office looking to see if they can sponsor their family members and things uh-huh. like that. Um, That's good. but, uh, yeah, just, uh, I can't remember how many, but, uh, um, but yeah, significant number that, you know, everybody is very familiar with them.
1: And as, at some point, you'll uh, you'll get um, a Bhutanese uh, restaurant to open, <laughs> and uh, some Bhutanese uh, immigrant will become a real estate agent, and uh, and then uh, if you're like uh, Kingston, where we have. Um, something in well in excess of ten thousand Portuguese, some oh, of them are really? a few generation back. Yeah, oh, mostly did, from the Azores. So, it, so we've got social huh. clubs. We've got uh, it, it's a mature community. So we have uh, you know people owning hotels and restaurants. It's just everything. Well, did you know, know makes... that
0: I lived in Portugal for two years, and my wife oh, really? actually lived on the Azores, and uh, oh, so wow. I have a very very. Um, Uh, fond, uh, I guess, uh, uh, appreciation and almost love for the people of Portugal. So yeah, I learned to speak a little Portuguese when I was Did there, you? and yeah, mm-hmm. and so, boy, I think I'm in the wrong city, Les. I should be over uh, there.
1: <laughs> look at you, you big maluka. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, you're welcome to come.
0: <laughs> no, that's really neat. That's that's cool. Yeah, they just, uh, it's yeah, just the the ability that they have to integrate into our communities and just make them better. Um, that's that's what's and really stronger cool. and stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, with most of these podcasts, I have an opportunity to kind of introduce the guest, but I always have one question that I ask every single guest that comes on, and I'm going to ask you, and that is, how did you get into immigration?
1: Ah, well, um, it was um, it was really sort of an accident. Um, uh, I, I when I was in law school, uh, I thought, uh, now what? branch of the law would give me the opportunity to travel this is what i thought <laughs> and uh, i thought well it's got to be immigration law people are moving all around all over the place uh, there's got to be some some um some opportunity to see the world that way uh what well, i and I've talked to some of the old timers. I'm talking about people who are older than me. Mm-hmm. And I guess back in the day, um, that's really what what did happen. Uh, they they there were uh, lawyers like you and me, Mark, going off to Hong Kong, meeting with the uh, the uh, officers who were actually processing the application, sitting down, uh, and having a dialogue about what was the good and the bad about this particular application, and uh, and sort of resolving issues and getting them approved. Uh,
0: uh, no, course- I'm going to stop you just for one second. <laughs> yeah for all of the junior lawyers and and young lawyers being introduced to immigration and interestingly in, interestingly enough I'm going to release a podcast here specifically targeted to them uh, that I did with uh, with Will Tao out in Vancouver but um that is almost unfathomable to even believe, let alone for me yeah. to pronounce that word. <laughs> it is it is <laughs> unbelievable yeah. to even dream of a day where you would sit face to face with an officer deciding an application uh, and, and and being able to have a conversation. You know, in know. our world of, of, of uh, you know, the government's doing everything in their power to prevent us from finding ways to even communicate with them, that's, that is unbelievable okay so that's clearly the old days so i'll let that you continue was the old days.
1: and it was it was really before my time because uh, when i began um i uh, i i was in a one horse town as uh uh if i may say so as as you are mm-hmm. um you know certainly uh, not very many horses yeah. and uh and um you know, you you when you're in a situation like that, you, you can't really um, specialize. And immigration, you know, not every town has an immigration lawyer. Uh, most of them have a criminal lawyer, a family lawyer, but an immigration lawyer is is what you expect in the bigger cities. In fact, uh, while there has is another lawyer that practiced a little bit of immigration law here for a while, uh, we have to go um, about. Um, 200 kilometers in any direction to find the next immigration lawyer. You have to go almost to the, yes. to the outskirts of Toronto or all the way to Ottawa to find another, another immigration lawyer. So um, uh, although I didn't think about this at the time, so it wasn't really a, a, way, a reason for getting into it, um, it was kind of uh, interesting to me uh, to think that I could be the guy. I, I, I wanted to be—I wanted to be somebody who was really uh, able to specialize in a field, and and that one just always interested me. So, so the the, the whole story began with kind of uh, a big boner, really, because I uh, I, I uh, made a mistake there. I thought that I'd be traveling all around. <laughs> By the time I really got into it enough that I could, I could I could really call myself an immigration lawyer, and and all the other areas that I was practicing and dropped away, uh, you know, it was uh, as. As you've described, a, a situation where you can't talk to an immigration officer, and uh, I don't know about you, but I, I picture these immigration processing centers as having no no windows you can come through, no doors <laughs> that you can enter, and not even a chimney you can try and uh, uh, you know go down in order to access these people. They've made themselves uh, um, uh, you know it, it, absolutely impossible to communicate with. So uh, so by that time, you know um, the the possibilities for for traveling. Um, uh, as a part of an immigration practice, we're we're gone. But you know, um, I, I it says um, uh, in my uh, on my website that I've I've uh, I've helped over people from over 100 countries. I'm sure it's substantially more than that uh, uh, now. 120, 130. There's only uh, about 200. Um, uh, odd countries in the world so uh you know eventually uh sitting here in my office in my one horse town you know at, at some point or another um just about uh every sort of person moseys through you know mm-hmm. and, and bellies up to the bar so uh and that's what happened with me so uh you know it, it, i may not have uh, been able to see the world as an immigration lawyer but uh, I, i've seen people from all over the world the
0: world and, has come to you yeah.
1: yeah, you might say. You might yeah.
0: say. Very yeah. cool. That that is awesome. Well, you know, every person has a little different story, and, I, and I'm sure that uh, you, as well as I, you know, the whole, um, uh, you know, the benefits that have come to us from practicing immigration are, are just the satisfaction in knowing that we're genuinely making a difference in people's lives, and especially mm-hmm. when I see the work that you're doing, obviously on the, uh, you know, the advocacy side. That's that's really awesome. But the reason that I asked Les to join us today was uh, I came across this amazingly comprehensive paper, unbelievably detailed, chronicling the history of passports of all things in Canada, all the way from... The beginning of time all the way through to some very interesting trends and so um, this paper uh, less uh, presented on at our last national um, canadian bar associations canadian bar association 's national immigration conference, and uh, you know less confided with me that he he gets these emails from the federal court uh, you know with the, a list of of the more recent decisions and he he started filtering through these and he started to seeing some to seeing some trends in the area of passport law and so I thought that would be just a perfect lead in to an area that people normally wouldn't you know, wouldn't really think, well, what's what is there to passports? Like what is you know, what's so sexy about that area that we would want to do a podcast on it. But I thought, you know, I'm gonna get less on to talk about it because especially a lot of our listeners are immigration lawyers and, and even consultants who this is information that is is something they're not gonna be aware of. And so the whole purpose behind the podcast is to provide content that's useful to people as well as, you know, some interesting stories about, <laughs> you know, our exploits. But I thought maybe you could just touch on that a little bit and talk about this, these trends that you're starting to see.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I um, What I noticed as I was going through the cases that were coming from the federal court is... Um, uh, just, uh, just what you've said—that uh, uh, that there were there were um, uh, coming to be more and more cases uh, in which there were issues arising out of the. Um, the the issuance uh, and use of passports, and uh, this struck me as as odd uh, because you know what is there to a passport for God's sakes? It's they uh, they take your picture, uh, you you hand in the application, uh, you give them their uh, their money, and uh, you know game over. Let's get the passport. Let's get going to. Uh, down south. Uh, but um, it turns out it's a little bit more complicated than that. And um, so um, having a, a background uh, initially in my undergraduate degree in history, I naturally gravitate to that. Okay, so where do passports come from? What are they about? And uh, that story in itself was kind of um, kind of interesting. Um, for one thing, um, uh, passports actually go back, uh, it, it, further than you might think back a couple of millennia they're mentioned in uh, not just the uh, the uh, the Bible but were but the Hebrew Bible the uh, the Old Testament uh, and uh, and and they they ha- have reappeared uh, throughout history since um, although um, uh, sometimes they're more in, in in favor and and sometimes they they fall out of fashion. <laughs> yeah. Uh what, what 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 I thought was interesting um and always looking i guess for the the scandal and mm-hmm. uh and the outrage uh, as I'm prone to do was um how um the Canadian government was really uh, brought to uh, introduce passports and to improve them over over the years because of uh, impetus from abroad. I guess that's not perhaps terribly surprising, but the the role that that uh, America played in in the uh, developments in in. Uh, in the area of uh, Canadian passports was kind of remarkable. For, for instance, we didn't really have a, a Canadian passport until the American Civil War, uh, when um, the Americans started to insist that that there had to be some way to identify um, uh, who, who you were, because of course they were in a, in a period of conflict and uh, it wasn't clear during the course of the American Civil War whether Britain might come in on this on one side or the other, and we were we were Britain at that point um later on um uh, and i was quite um amused uh, amused uh mm-hmm. scandalized to discover that canadian passports um hadn't really developed that much uh, through the 40s right through until the 60s uh, in terms of the uh, level of scrutiny within, with which we we um reviewed the applications and issued the passports so that in fact they became known um Uh, to those who are interested in such things throughout the world as uh, an easy uh, thing to get fraudulently. And so, in fact, the the person... Who um, went into Mexico and killed uh, Leon Trotsky in, 1940, in 1940s? Um, used a Canadian passport to mm. do that, so he could cover his trail. And likewise, uh, uh, you know, particularly uh, tragic from my perspective, uh, the man uh, James Earl Ray, who um, who killed Martin Luther King, mm. uh, came to Toronto and um, applied for uh, a couple of fraudulent uh, Canadian passports because at that time, and this was in the 60s, at that time. All you needed was to say that you were born in Canada. If you were in Canada... A, was a verbal applied,
0: attestation uh, is all that right. you needed.
1: <laughs> yeah, you just had to say... You didn't even have to give a verbal attestation. You filled out an application, filed it in Canada, and said you were born in Canada, and uh, and poof, you got a passport. Yeah. And so uh, naturally, you know, somebody um, with bad intentions, yeah. uh, learning, learning that uh, would... Um, uh, would, would sort of run that up the flagpole. Oh, yeah, so, so that, that was sort of, uh, so then when, you know, when that, um, that, uh, that, that awful thing happened, uh, naturally there was a lot of, uh, of, uh, flack at Canada was pretty embarrassed and there was some investigations done and, uh, and some Royal commissions as we're want to do to, yes, to investigate. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it was determined that, uh, you know we really needed to do something uh, and so uh then sort of the new era was ushered in slowly uh, kicking and screaming but uh uh slowly we uh, we started to uh, reorganize our passport issuance process so that there would be a little bit more scrutiny but i have to tell you mark that 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 the problems continued right up until relatively recently um that that there were um well there was uh something called the western um uh, hemisphere transfer uh, uh, travel initiative, travel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, which is an Amer- American initiative to try and ensure that people had passports who were coming into the states. So once again, we had to adapt to what uh, what the Americans were doing, uh, and we, we we didn't adapt very well uh, because now you know crossing over the border to get groceries, as some people are, uh, do when the, uh, the exchange rate is right. Yes. Now you had to show your passport to do that, and uh, if if you didn't have a passport, then you had to get one, and uh, at that particular point, people were applying at the rate of um, five hundred thousand, I think, a month, um, wow. yeah. to, uh, to 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 get passports. Uh, now, now we're up to maybe something like five million a year, um, whereas um, you know, not so long ago, it was just a few hundred thousand yeah, a year, it wasn't
0: that a big deal. You- <laughs> I will say one thing, though, Les. The What's passports, that? the ten year passports we have now are, are pretty freaking cool. Aren't they? <laughs> you you run yeah. that black light over them and you've got fireworks, you got all this yeah. kinda of stuff. Space so age. so kudos yeah. to the the passport designers. I won't ask how much it costs to generate those passports. Oh. Obviously it's off the backs of us because I just finished renewing those for all my kids, but they are oh, pretty darn cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, 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 they are. I'm gonna have to put. Uh,
0: a, I'm gonna put a link to, uh, to the show notes uh, in the show notes, so that those who are not here in Canada can can get a, a, a picture. I know there was a newspaper um, that uh, they did a, a little a little piece on it when they were first released, and I've used them in previous presentations. But I'm gonna put a little link to that in the show notes. Sounds great. Excellent. So, so yeah. And and I, I didn't mean to kind of cut you off. So, so there's been this evolution here of people, you know, somewhat abusing the, the use of the passports and it's resulted in us having to crack down and, and, uh, toe the line with our dear neighbor to the South.
1: Yeah. And and, yeah, that's right. And embarrassingly, you know, Americans weren't really, um, um, wagging their fingers at us. But, you know, we sort of got the message that we were, um, you know, we, we needed to uh, uh, pull up our socks a little bit, shall we say. Uh, and that this happened again uh, in a case involving the brother of uh, Omar Cotter, who, mm-hmm. um, who also with him was uh, for a time imprisoned in Guantanamo, although he was released without charges. And um, he uh, um, uh, was... Uh, actually denied a passport, denied passport services by um, the uh, Canadian government uh, in circumstances where uh, there was a real question as to whether it was possible to deny somebody a passport. Um, you may know that uh, under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Section 6 provides that you have the right to enter and uh, and to leave Canada if you're a Canadian citizen. Yeah. and uh, And so... Can so you how, actually, how, how do you leave the country if, if you can't get into another country?
0: Right. So how did they, so on what ground did they refuse to grant it? Like clearly there well, was, you know, the, the rule of law was probably being kind of shuffled off to the side for political purposes. Yes, but.
1: yes that's right. Well, you, you may recall those those dark days when um, uh, this was, I believe, around 2007, when, um, when uh, there was a lot of concern um, about security, as there has been sort of really increasingly since 2001 yeah, every year. <laughs> and uh and so uh this was a new uh, idea um the the um the the uh, Canadian passport order, which is the governing uh, 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 statutory instrument that uh, provides sets out the rules with respect to passports, um, didn't actually have a provision uh, for uh, denying somebody a passport on these security grounds. But um, and that it was essentially on those grounds, disguised as something else, that the uh, the government denied the passport, uh, and then that was. Um, um, that, that that was amended and ultimately uh, uh through the course of appeals and uh and uh and new applications the appeal was successful but then set sent back and uh and uh then when the Uh, Application had to be reconsidered. It was reconsidered pursuant to the new rules, uh, which provided that security was a ground for refusal, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and poor Mr. Cotter had um, had a problem. And it is these kind of cases that I started to see, uh, starting around uh, around that time, uh, with increasing frequency, people who were being. denied passports Uh, that was a rather egregious case i mean certainly the Qadar family was rather uh, well known and uh, notorious in canada Uh, and so you might expect that um, that if there was um, a request for a government service that they would look at it very closely but um but since then you know objections to uh, to to applications for passports have extended to areas where people are involved in uh, misuse of passports, or or they're um, they're um, they're applying on the basis of of, uh, of information which isn't completely correct, uh, or uh, in, in other circumstances of that sort, uh, people are not only not getting the passport they want. Uh, in some circumstances, when it's discovered after the fact, their passports are being revoked, and they're uh what 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 there what happens is something called the denial of passport services for a period of about up to 5 years so they're told they can't they can't um get a passport for up to 5 years so unless they are a dual national they they're required to uh to get their groceries uh in <laughs> canada
0: huh that is uh that's interesting so so what does the world look like today
1: well, um, what we're seeing now um, is, is, I think, more and more of this. Uh, it seems to be now settled that uh, passports uh, services can be denied. So, despite the the Charter of uh, Rights and Freedoms, which says we have the right to leave, that it's a reasonable limit uh, in circumstances where there are um, security issues to deny uh, a passport. Uh, so, um, so we may see uh, more and more. Of that. Uh, and in addition, what we're also seeing is changes uh, to um, legislative instruments and to agreements between countries so that uh, there's a, a greater uh, degree of sharing of, of information collected uh, by uh, Canada with, with other countries like the United States and by United States with Canada. So what we're seeing Coming down the road is uh, will be will be essentially an automatic sharing of uh, information that when you enter, say, for instance, the United States, um, they they then you know of course as you leave the United States, if you uh, um, re- you know remember the last time you drove uh, across the border, if you leave the United uh, Canada, you don't have to show your passport and you enter the United States, you do. Um, so. Canada has no way of being able to know whether you've left the country, unless they can get the Americans to give us that information. But uh, as as our borders become, uh, our border uh, services, I guess, really, I should say, become more integrated, this information will become automatically shared. So it will be known that not only that you've entered Canada with your Canadian passport but also that you've left it uh, and this has all sorts of uh, sort of enforcement implications um, because as you probably are aware from your practice um, whether you have been residing in, in Canada is an issue for um, uh, permanent resident renewal applications per, per, permanent resident uh, card renewal applications and citizenship uh, applications you need to show where you've been mm-hmm. and uh, at the moment that's a much more cumbersome process of Uh, pointing to stamps and passports which may be illegible but uh, as this information is shared and and it's not uh, at this point um, uh, shared in this way but it will be uh, then Canada is going to have a lot more information about you Hmm. Uh, and um, you know uh, some will say that's a good thing because we we know not only who's coming, but who's going. Uh, but you know, that's also you, Mark, and that's me. Uh, and um, you know, do we? You know, we we've lost perhaps just a little bit of anonymity in our uh, in our life uh, as as the government has, has chosen to uh, accumulate. And, in, and
0: indeed, Big Brother is you know is making with his us. presence that's right. known.
1: That's right. So uh,
0: a certain honourable Ralph Goodale, I understand, has introduced a new bill.
1: Right, and that's the bill. the The bill is um, uh, is is to um, not only uh, share this information with the United States and with others, but to keep track of this information. and um, uh, it's not only just you with the United States, but also um, information would be required to be produced by the airlines so that um, it would be known that uh, that you left by plane as well as by crossing the border um, hmm. uh, at a a land point of entry. Hmm.
0: Interesting, and this all flows into everything from our new ETAs mm-hmm. that are going to be coming out I- here in September and this whole concept of securing our borders both those coming in and and going out that is that is fascinating so
1: yeah. you know mark uh, i had a client at one point um who um was an american uh, this was many years ago uh, but um i've seen similar situations happen uh more recently and this particular client um uh, loved Canada, and he he was not far on the other side of the border because here at Kingston we're um, we're about half an hour away from New York State by car, and uh, this fellow was a uh, uh, you know was on the other side, and he loved Canada. He loved to come up here and fish, and to uh, um, you know enjoy the the wilderness, and um, so he uh, he decided he would buy a. Um, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a set of cottages with uh, with a home attached to it. Cottages for rental, sort of like a kind of hunting fishing camp yeah. sort of thing. And he bought this, this thing and he got a mortgage, uh, a, a mortgage in, in Canada for this. And um, he, he, um, he operated the business for a period of, uh, of a couple of years before uh, one day when he was crossing the border with all sorts of construction equipment, because he was doing some renovations to the, to the building. Uh, he, it was discovered that he had a criminal record and he yes. wasn't even admissible to the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um so uh, he found himself in the, the terrible situation of uh, having his, having a property and a business on one side of the border, and and him being on the other, and having retained lawyers to uh, help him with his mortgage, to help him purchase this property, to set up the business, and nobody uh, alerting him to the fact that he may not even be allowed to come into the country. Well, um, it's going to be increasingly difficult to do things like that, I think, in the future, as this information is, is shared more and more perhaps that's uh, perhaps that's a good thing um but uh because that was certainly a big um uh, surprise for for my client
0: yeah, and you know uh b j Caruso came on the podcast a few episodes mm-hmm. back and we we discussed that exact thing and with this new information sharing in the past, people had no idea that there was any issue, and now mm-hmm. as they go through and they're You know, their histories are, are, you know, their NCIC, the the FBI criminal record database is is Mm -hmm. almost routinely scanned now. These things are popping up and people are not even aware of them. And for years they've been able to come to Canada freely and and now because of that... uh, they are barred so yeah yeah that's that's that's, it's
1: not that hard to get a criminal record i I do a a lot of my work Uh, you know what what sustained me in my practice was the fact that here in kingston we have seven federal penitentiaries Uh and uh and uh we we you know there's lots of lots going on there in fact the for the first several years of my practice the 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 immigrants that i was dealing with primarily were immigrants who were in custody and um you know trying to help them uh, make the case to, to stay here in canada and um so uh i have seen over and over again a story um that uh, i'm i'm sure you're familiar with and that is uh, family comes to canada um you know uh delighted to be here they bring along their their children um if they come from a, a different uh linguist uh, linguistic group um uh parents are somewhat isolated uh, maybe they they just are um Traveling only in their own linguistic circle, uh, and the kids who are going to public school get to learn English, uh, start to hang out with the wrong crowd. The parents are not in a position to monitor this or to understand it because of the um, of their sort of marginalization within the community. Kids go off the rails, and then um, they uh, they look at. Um, uh being deported for 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 crimes they got into because they thought that they were invincible and they could never be removed and where it happens that that the country to which they'll be removed is uh is you know is Iran or is Afghanistan or is Iraq yeah. uh, there are serious issues and um you know even if a person had um had done something really quite quite nasty and, uh, you know, really uh, uh, inexplicable and and possibly even inexcusable, uh, you know, does that mean we can send them to their death? So we get into these these kinds of issues with people. It's very, very easy to go off the rails, to go down the wrong road. And uh, nowadays, uh, with this sharing of information, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be something that, that you live with for a very, very long time.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been just great, Les. I really, really appreciate the insight. I don't think anyone thought the whole discussion of passports could be as interesting as as this. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us.
1: It's been a great pleasure to, to get to meet you uh, over the airwaves, uh, Mark, and I certainly feel honoured to be invited to speak with you.
0: Fantastic. Well, the next question, I guess, is... Uh, When uh, some of our colleagues across the country run into a difficult passport issue and they're thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, who am I going to talk to? They're going to know it's you now. So uh, what's the best way for people to, to reach you if they're trying to track you down?
1: Uh, the best thing to do is, uh, in this internet age, is to put my name into the internet, <laughs> uh, and that's Les Morley, M-O-R-L-E-Y, and uh, hit enter. And uh, what should happen is uh, they come to my website, which which has all the answers to their questions. I hope. <laughs>
0: that that is awesome. I will make sure you know that I will put a link to your website in the uh, the the show notes for the episode. Um, That's very sweet of you, Mark. I I chuckle here because uh, I had this discussion with Ravi Jane in Toronto. We were talking about uh-huh. spousal sponsorships, and he he mentioned the fact that if you search Ravi Jane, you'll probably get an actor that pops up.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> and so,
0: and so for 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 him, he had uh yeah he had kind of a twin that was uh, uh, competing for the uh, the Google traffic, but um, I'm pretty sure uh, the searches I think were safe to find you. <laughs>
1: I'm, I hope so. I hope so. Thanks. Thanks again, Mark. It's very, very, uh, uh, it was very fun.
0: You bet. All right. Take care, Les.
1: Talk to you later. Okay.
0: Well, that was an awesome podcast interview with, uh, with Les. What a great guy. You know, I never had an opportunity to really speak with him before I brought him on to the podcast. And, uh, I just love having practitioners on with so much wealth of experience and knowledge. And I can tell you that paper that Les put together. I talked to him after the podcast, and I asked him if he would be willing for me to post it in the show notes. So, if you're listening to this, go to the show notes and take a look for that paper that that uh, Les drafted on on passports for our Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Section. It is awesome. It is unbelievable. And uh, any of you practitioners out there who have any issues related to passports, this is going to give you a context if you ultimately have to uh, go to court to fight for uh, one of your clients who is uh, being refused the issuance of their passport or having some other control placed upon them with respect to their passport. So I want to express appreciation once again to Les for taking the time to join me on the podcast. And as always, to all of you. This has been a wonderful ride so far, and I'm hopeful that it is just the beginning of many, 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 many more podcasts that we do on the crazy world of uh, Canadian immigration. I want to also encourage you to share the love, share the podcast with other people that you feel might be interested in hearing it. And I welcome your feedback. If you have any suggestions or comments on how we can make it a little bit better, um, also, if you have uh, recommendations for individuals that might be good to have on as guests, I love to showcase lawyers across the country who are really doing it the right way, who are giving back to the community, who are practicing at a super high level. And uh, anything I can do to, to help elevate our immigration bar in this wonderful country of Canada, that's why we're doing this. All right, thanks so much once again for listening. And I wish you all the best in your efforts to navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice.
1: Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice.
0: If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com.